It's one that moves my heart deeply and, and one that uh, has, has, has also just troubled me deeply uh, because I want to uh, understand this. And so uh, worship is what we're, we're talking about uh, for the rest of the summer. And, and yet it is a, a, a wonderful thing to pursue God. And so let's go to God in prayer and uh, we'll, we'll jump right in. Father, thank you so much for the chance to know you. God, that you call us a treasure, and certainly you are a treasure to us, God. And Father, uh, thank you so much for reaching down in the muck and mire and pulling us out, God. I, I think about just getting something out of mud and how uh, troublesome that is and how, uh, in many ways, messy that is, God. And you, you certainly got your hands dirty uh, with us, God. And and Lord, you took us out and you cleaned us, Father, and you, you made us new. And then you also said, uh, let's go take other people out, Father. And thank you for all the things that you've used this uh, church to do in changing people's lives, Father. And, and God, we know it's a result because we're your body, Father. Of course, that's what your body does, is, is transform people's lives. And God, we're, we're humbled to be a part of that. And yet at the same time, you're transforming us each and every day. Father, be with every heart right now, Father. Help us, Lord, to have no idols in our life, God. To ha- make no other God but you. For you are a jealous God, a God whose name is jealous. And you will have no other gods uh, to compete with, Lord. Father, we pray that we can seek your glory like Moses did. That we'll do whatever it takes to see your glory. That God will be like Joshua and we will... We will stay constantly at the tent, Father. Lord, I pray that we can understand your scriptures and even recently just the ways these scriptures have have hit my heart deeply, God, and changed me. I pray that uh, it it can make the same impact on and people here that hear your word. Thank you so much for your word that is literally the word that you've given us, God, and yet there is more that you have to speak to us, God, even throughout eternity, Lord. We, God, we know you're not done speaking, uh, Father. We know that you're continually speaking to us, God. And yet, God, someday we will have a new order, God, uh, in heaven. We just ask you, Lord, that we could make it there to see your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> amen. Let's go to uh, Exodus 33. And we're going we're gonna to be there. And I know we have... Um, We're going to have a great month so far of just getting in God's Word and worshiping God. I know the brothers have a camping trip next week. Brothers. But, you know, I just want to say I'm excited about that. I know I'm going to uh, have some of my boys there, hopefully all of them, but maybe some of them. We'll see what happens. But uh, grateful that Justin's organizing that with the brothers and um, with Jesse. And uh, it's going to be a great time. But the brothers are going to be out of service this Sunday. We'll have some brothers coming, amen, I'll be there, amen, I'll be here at service, but uh, we'll be missing, and they're going to have a great worship time together, uh, but next week we're going to be kind of doing part two of this uh, message, um, unveiled or veiled worship, and uh, that will be powerful, and brothers, please listen to that message, because it's one that uh, I've been studying out that's been deep and profound in my life. Um, today we're going to speak about worship, uh, the goal of worship, essentially, to pursue God, and I don't know... If you thought about, like, why do I come to church? Why do I come? Why am I in the church? Why am I here? You know, you ever ask that yourself that question? Why do I come to family group? And why do I come to midweek? And why do I come to church or take communion? Um, well, it helps me. and It's good. But what's the ultimate goal? Uh, the goal is to pursue God, is to, to be near to God, to know God. I mean, I didn't grow up a religious person. I, I grew up around a lot of religion. My my family was Jehovah Witness, and <clears throat> I grew up till I was five. I really didn't know much about it, and they, they got out of the witnesses. And <clears throat> I didn't really grow up with much religion at all. I went to churches a couple times with my friends. Um, and for me, uh, when I started to study the Bible at 18, I realized I, I don't care about being religious. I don't care to be looked at. I, didn't, I never owned a, a cross on my neck. I never liked being religious. To me, I just wanted to know God. And I wanted to be close to God. And I don't, I don't, I think anything else is going to be a big time snare in your life. 
If you're here because you want to improve your life, you're going to leave someday. If you're here because you, you know, think, hey, this is going to clean up my life and it's going to help me and get me back on the right track, you've come to the wrong place. You know, there's counselors for that. There's programs for that. There's different things you can do that. Why are we here, church? We're here because we want to see God's face. We're here because we want to see God's glory. We don't care about easing our conscience. You know, there's a lot of ways you can do that, too. Buddhism does that in a great way. You know, just being still and doing that on your own. I'm here to be with God. I'm here to find my God. And that is the ultimate goal of a Christian is to find God's glory. And um, I'm not done on the other religions. I'm just saying that is the pursuit. That is the goal of worship. That when we come to church on Sunday, we're here to encourage each other. We're here to inspire each other. But we're here to find God. And even in that moment where Mario shared that scripture, I just broke down and cried thinking about how he took me up out of the muck and mire. How he could take Mario as an eight-year-old kid and have a dream for him. That, you know what, I don't care about his dad. I don't care about his mom and all the challenges that are going there. I know Mario, and I'm going to find him. I'm going to grab him. He's a treasure to me. To see Janet and, um, you know, Rick share their lives and share for communion. Think about just the names of Jesus and, and how uh, Janet's life and Rick's life has been changed. And um, to, to even hear Jessica, you know, just share about her story and how in the midst of, of challenge, she's able to get out of that. To me, that's worship. Amen. When we listen to a song and we hear it, we, we pursue God in that song. When we fellowship with one another and we disciple each other, we're, we tremble before God's word as we share it with each other. That, that there's three people at that meeting, not just two. That God is there as well, and he is there through his word uh, as well as through his spirit. The pursuit of God. You know, how is your pursuit of God going? I, I know for me, I would say uh, there are times when I don't pursue God. There are times in my Christian life where I'm sort of, just showing up. I don't really have the, the striving to pursue God. I, I feel like, you know, God's good and I want to be around God. Let me rub up on God. But the truth is, I'm not pursuing him like our brother Moses did. And we're going to see a very different people. We're going to see God's people, Israelites, really turn in a bad way. And then we're also going to see a great example in Moses and what he did. So uh, we're going to jump right in. Um, last week, we talked about the reason we worship uh, the reason we were created is to worship, that we all worship something. Amen? Yeah. We all worship something. We're worshipers. Did you know that? Yeah. Everyone is worshipers. Whether you're an atheist or, or agnostic, you worship something. Yeah. Uh, maybe you worship education. Maybe you worship science. Maybe you worship a relationship. Everyone worships something. And we're wired that way. And so we either worship God or we worship created things. Those are the two choices. Amen? Yeah. And so the, the, the pursuit of God is, is really the true uh, avoid-filling thing that we can worship, amen? And, and, and that's what, what it says. I, I, I think this has been a theme scripture for me in our study of worship. Romans 1, 25, it says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised, amen. amen. You know, you either worship created things or the creator. And the thing that's amazing about God's creation, it's so awesome that you could be tempted to worship it. It's so amazing. I mean, you know, if we just talk about the simple things, I mean, some people just love the earth so much, right? And and I'm with them. It's incredible. I mean, waterfalls and canyons. And I mean, we went out to Camden and we saw this beautiful, you know, uh, spot and it was incredible. And, and this woman, uh, this poet, right? Uh, no, it was, it's a man, I think, right? The poet, Vincent? Is, no. It's a woman. Yeah, it's a woman. She was so inspired, she started her writing career just from seeing this scenic place in Camden. It became the most uh, uh, you know, profound poet just from seeing something. She saw this, and she, was, she turned around, and she was like, wow. She saw you know, the, the amazing, uh, you know, that bay that's so beautiful and wonderful. And she just started her writing career that way. Wow. You know, it's amazing what God's creation can do. It's powerful. Yeah. You know, um, I'm just going to say, and I'm a man, 
Women are amazing. Amen. Amen? The, the way they're made, the way they're formed, the way God created them. Amen? And, and I think we're pretty awesome too. Amen? <laughs> Men. You know, just, just the relationship you can have, you know, between a man and a woman is beautiful. And, and 18 years of that, my marriage with Danielle, I think I'm so grateful that I'm not alone. But even that can be, a relationship can be a temptation to be worshipped. And that's, you know, money can be a place you can worship. Is, is that security, my bank account, where it's at. Um, so many things that are created can be worshipped. And I want you to, to, to right now make a decision that you're not going to worship created things. But only the creator. Because, of course, we know the creator is always greater then it's creation. Amen? You know, I love when he says, even if you don't worship him, he's forever praised. So he's going to get praised no matter what. You just get to be a part of that praise. <laughs> it's kind of amazing to think like the angels are like, if all mankind falls behind, we are going to worship you. We took that third of angels out of the way. The two thirds left are going to be worshiping God to the end of time, to the end of forever eternity, whatever that means, amen? Angels say, we're worshiping forever the God that is Yahweh. And so we're going to look at a story in Exodus 33, uh, just to give a little bit of background. It's amazing how in the worst moments in the Bible come the greatest moments as well, (laughs) if you know what I'm saying. You know, a woman is caught in adultery. That's pretty bad. Amen? And then Jesus writes on the floor and says, you know, neither do I condemn you. This is the most beautiful part of the Gospels I've ever read. And yet it was terrible. It was a terrible thing. Imagine getting caught in adultery. Well, in this moment, right before this, the golden calf was being worshipped in Exodus 32. One of the greatest terrible moments in Israel's history. I don't think the Jewish people are excited about that story, amen? The worship of the golden calf, could we get any more messed up? They just got brought out of Egypt, amen? Through all these amazing miracles, uh, the Red Sea split. They went through. The pillar of fire and the cloud were with them. They saw miracles that that I would die to see, amen? You know, uh, I know... You know, some of my sons would have loved the frogs. You know, just seeing all the frogs everywhere. You know what I mean? It would have been awesome. Um, but just all the miracles that God did. And then he spoke the Ten Commandments. From the cloud, you, he, they heard the voice of God. And they said, don't have him talk to me anymore. We feel like we're going to have a heart attack hearing his voice. Imagine hearing God's voice. You ever just, your heart stops when you hear thunder? You know? Or, or Lightning? How about that for like five minutes? That's what they felt. They felt heart palpitations as they heard God's voice. And the first thing he says is, you shall have no other gods before me. That was the first thing. He wanted to make sure that was the first thing said. And Moses went up on on the Mount Sinai for 40 days to get the law, the old covenant. Amen. He actually had to do it twice. Amen. 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 Maybe that tells us something, you know. Sometimes you got to remind people, right? But the truth is, he went up there and they didn't know where he was. The Bible says in Exodus 32 that, um, <laughs> I love this. When the people saw, verse 1, that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will, will go before us. As this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt... We don't know what has happened to him. You know, they, they thought maybe God killed him or, or maybe he just died up there. You know what I mean? And, and they, they wanted the quick and easy fix. And this is where idols come from. It's quicker and easier, easier, easier. Doesn't seem easy after you see what happened to them. But it's, it's the short-term gratification of, of worshiping something that, is, that gives you the security and pleasure that our flesh wants. Yeah. Instead of waiting on God, right. we'd rather worship an idol. 
Man, that's powerful, isn't it? And there are times when you, when I first read the Bible through, I would stop sometimes and go grab my hair and I'd be like, what are you doing? You know, and I would actually get upset at the people in the Bible. And now I understand, I get super convicted when I realize that we're not that different. You know, a golden calf seems pretty crazy, right? To worship a golden calf seems kind of crazy. But, you know, the, the first point simply the worship of God uh, is the pursuit of God. Amen. Look at this. This is interesting. You got the golden calf, and then you got the golden calf. I thought about that. I was like, wow, Wall Street, money. Isn't it interesting how not much has changed? Not much has changed. Not much has changed. And idols are what keeps us from the pursuit of God. I will not have any God to be worshipped besides me. You can, only, you can only have one master. You can't have two. And so, one of the things that stops us in our worship is our idols. Mm-hmm. This is profound. And when you see what Moses did in response to this, it's pretty intense. Amen? It's pretty intense. Um, you know, Jesus says you got to hate anything that stands in your way of me. It doesn't actually mean hate your mother, father, sister, or brother, but he means that in comparison, there's no comparison. And that's hard even for me to go, wow, my wife is, is, is here and Christ needs to be up there. Wow. And yet my love for my wife grows when I love Christ because Christ says, love your wife like I love the church. And so I believe worshiping God, number one, allows us to love the relationships in our life more than we could ever love them by putting them first. Amen? Um, But this is some questions that I want you to write down. Do some self-reflection. I found this on an article and I thought, wow, this is so true. An idle inventory in your life. And, And I want you to say, God, do I have any idols in my life? Lord, do I have any idols? And I want you to sit there And be silent before the Lord. And ask yourself, do I have any idols? It was interesting. We went to the um, uh, museum, I think it was, yeah, the Museum of Science in Boston. And they had the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was fired up. One time, you know, for a couple weeks, they had the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I called Kevin up. I said, Kevin, we got to go see the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've never, I'll probably, I won't know if I'll ever be in, you know, the Middle East or anything like that, or, or, or the museums in Europe, I don't know. We'll see, but I got to go to Boston. It's two hours away. Let's meet. So we met at the uh, Museum of Science, and we, we had some good time. And we, so we went through this amazing exhibit of Dead Sea Scrolls. We saw Isaiah 50, 53. We saw, um, you know, Isaiah seven fourteen. We saw Psalm 22 right there, 750 years before Christ, right? Uh, dated 300... BC, before Christ, confirming the prophecies of the Messiah. Amazing. It was definitely amazing. But one thing I wasn't ready to see was they dug up the, some of the more um, ancient uh, places of Canaan, even where the Jews were in Israel. And they dug it all up and they found all these amazing artifacts. But what they found amongst God's people was idols hidden in their rooms, hidden in their chambers. God's people had idols, hidden. It just kind of blew me away. I was like, you know, you're so inspired, then you see that, and you're so sobered at the same time. That they had all these idols, these little idols, that were just, they just lined them all up, named them all. And they said, these are the Israelites' idols, God's people's idols. And amongst the amazing scriptures, on the, you have the amazing Dead Sea Scrolls copied by, you know, the Masoretic scribes, copied by these incredible Essenian uh, Jewish followers of Yahweh, uh, really probably those that discipled John the Baptist and helped John the Baptist grow up. Amongst that, you have idols in the next exhibit. It was sobering for me to see. You know, the first question is, are you willing to compromise your beliefs for it? 
whatever that it is. Wow, that's hard. You know? Will you get angry if, some, if you don't get it or can't get it? You ever get angry about something? You're like, what? Hey, that's not your right. You know, you get all upset about it. It's because you're grasping too hard on it. Do you value it over people? That's interesting. You know, do you value it over people? Does it push you closer to God or pull you farther away? That's a wonderful question. Whatever pushes you farther away is becoming an idol or is an idol in your life. Could you give it up if you needed to? You know, church, we need to be able to do that. Maybe even fast from some of our, our things that pull us. Just to give them less power in our life, church. We need to give it up. Even if it's for a time. There are some things we can't give up, amen? We can't like, okay, education's become an idol. I'm just going to quit school. That's probably not wise. But maybe we need to pray more. And put more time into other things. You know, if you're a straight A student, maybe it's okay to get an A- minus If you get closer to God, amen? You know... All of us, I believe God wants us to do great in everything, but, if, but it's our hearts. It's not education that's bad or, or relationships that's bad, amen? It's not those things. It's God's creation. All that God made was good. It's how Satan twists our hearts and makes us believe in that. Zacchaeus forsook his money and said, I'll give half to the poor. And four times anyone I've cheated. I'm like, that dude had a lot of money. He's trying to do the math. I'm like... Wow, he had some money left behind, you know. It's like, whoa, okay. And then, and then the rich young, the rich young ruler, right? Yeah. He he couldn't handle it. He said, "Man, I wish I would have said what Zacchaeus said. I could have kept some of my money." But Jesus knew he needed to give it all up. And there are times we need to give it up. Sometimes we need to just let it go. Josiah destroyed all the idols in the place. Don't you see how hard it is to give up idols? The Israelites for a thousand years were trying to give up their idols. They, killed, they destroyed every idol except the Asherah poles. Man, those Asherah poles, they stuck around, those stinking things, you know? Maybe it was hard to get up there. Maybe it was just a lot of work. Whatever it was, it was inconvenient. And giving up idols is inconvenient. But the question is, what's your goal? If your goal is, to, is God, then you got to give it up. If your goal is to be religious, then be like those Israelites and keep those idols in your house. As for me, I want to give them up. But I know it's not going to be easy. I know there's blind spots that we all have. You know, if someone says to me, Glenn, that's an idol in your life, I need to take that seriously. I need to think, wow, I need to take that tremendously seriously because I've broken the first commandment. You know, if you break the first commandment, you, you can't do all ten. You're started off on the wrong foot. You know, what idols do you need to destroy and despise? I do this first point because I think this is what stops us from pursuing God. And Exodus 32, you see what happens. Moses comes down, breaks the tablets. I'm like, no, 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 don't break the tablets. Why did Moses break the tablets? He was so indignant at this. You know, Joshua said, there's sounds of war down in the camp. And Moses says, that's not war. And that's not, you know, uh, uh, trouble. That's singing and rivalry, I hear. And he went down. He smashed the tablets that God wrote on, almost to say, you're not even worthy of reading these. Maybe he just had indignancy. Said, we're not holy enough even to hear these. So you will not hear them. And he breaks them. And then he destroys the golden calf and breaks it up and burns it and makes the people drink it. Now, this is an 80-year-old man. Think about that. An 80-year-old man, that intense. You know, I don't care how old you are, you got to stand up for God, amen? How young you are, you got to stand up for God. And he was ignorant. Why did he make him drink it? I always like, why did he make him drink it? Drink this. To despise it. To say that is not a God. How can you drink a God? It's not a God. I'm going to not only uh, destroy it. I'm going to despise it. 
It's very disrespectful what he did to the calf. But disrespect sometimes is needed as a spiritual person. Amen? Amen. Well, that's weird. Quote of the day right there. (laughs) Disrespect. We got to disrespect our idols. Destroy them. Despise them. Make fools of them. By really taking it seriously in our life. Our worship of God is so important. Let's read Exodus 33. So after that, we get this profound story. We're just going to read uh, Exodus 33 for the rest of the the time here. Verse 1. Are you with me, guys? Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, and Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, God said, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Dang. When the people heard this distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment... I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I'll decide what to do with you. So those are right, stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now I forgot to mention that 3,000 people were killed that day because they stood for the idol. And the Levites, who were their own brothers, had to actually had some major discipline in among the people of God. To stop idol worship, they had to actually kill these people, which is so intense. They refused to be on Moses' side, and so they had to go. And there was also a plague that hit them. Man, pretty intense moment in, 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 in the people of God. You know, when we worship idols, I forgot to say this, a plague is coming. A spiritual plague is coming. When we worship idols, whatever that means, you know, when I think about plague, I mean, I think devastation, sickness, uh, trouble. That is what happens. And they knew all about plagues as they saw the people of Egypt go through it. But here's the next story where God is saying, basically, I'm giving you the land. I'm sending you an angel. Go. But I'm just not going to be with you. This is a very interesting thing that God does. Think about this. God says, listen, I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to bring an angel with you. But my presence isn't going to be with you. What would you do? Interesting. You know, a lot of times we we worship God for many reasons. And one of them is, my life will be blessed. And what Moses shows us here is, he saw through that. He said, I don't want the angel, even though the angel is amazing. I want you, God. I want you. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood up and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses returned to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my eyes. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you are with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people in the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do that very thing you have said, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Guys, there's so much in this. I encourage you to go Exodus 32, 33, 34. 
this week and look at it from a worship perspective. Look at it from a personal relationship with Christ perspective. It will blow your mind. It's a different story when you read it like that. Everything was written in the, in the past to teach us. Amen? Amen? So much pops out to me about worship in this, this message. And one of the things that's so huge is that God is more important than the mission. You know, we have a mission, amen? Even Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. What's our primary mission, amen? Our mission is to seek and save the lost. What's our purpose? To worship. To What was the mission for Moses? The mission for Moses was, go take the land, a new nation. I'm going to bless you with milk and honey. I mean, I might go, to be honest. My heart, the way my heart works is, hey, an angel's coming with me, fired up. I mean, an angel, you know, can do anything. An angel killed all the people of Egypt, the firstborn, in one night. I got power behind me. Let's go. The mission meant nothing to Moses compared to God. The mission meant nothing. And if you think about it, without God, what's the use of making disciples? You know, maybe it's to serve the poor. What's the, if you don't have God, what's the mission behind serving the poor? What distinguishes us from anyone else but God? Is your primary focus worship? I'm going to confess no. As your minister, it's not my primary focus. I want it to be, but it's not. It's building this church. It's helping seeking and saving the lost. It's doing spiritual things and religious things and having meetings and doing leaders' meetings and training the people and doing my job. But the truth is, it must be worship. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to be changed after this, this series. Amen. I hope you are. Amen. I hope you will. And if we're all going to get honest with ourselves, we might go too with that angel. We might go, okay, God's with us. God's blessing us. You know, yeah, and, and these, we don't want these people to be destroyed, so maybe you shouldn't go, Lord. Because <laughs> all these people are going to get killed. They're prone to destruction. But Moses said, I'm not going anywhere without you. I'm not going anywhere without you, Lord. Don't even send us. Who cares about milk and honey? Who cares about blessings? I don't even care. It's rubbish, as Paul said compared to knowing Christ. Amen. So he's at the tent of meeting. I don't know about you, but what if you had your own tent? You went out and spent with the Lord, and anytime you went, the Bible says, the cloud would come with you. God was always ready to, to have time with God, time with, 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 with uh, Moses. I'm here. Whenever you need me, I'm here. Moses would go in, and the cloud would come. And everyone stood up outside the entrance worshiping God. You know, I'm sure he spent a lot of time there. It was a lot easier being with God than it was with these people. I bet there was a lot of worship going on. But they were outside the camp. They were outside. They had to be in their own tent seeing this. But Joshua, son of Nun, the Bible says in verse 11, the Lord to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Isn't that the goal of worship? Having a face-to-face meeting with God as a friend would. Not just as a dictator, not just as a leader, but as a friend. But his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, never left the tent. That stuck up at me. I was like, why didn't he leave the tent? Moses left the tent. Moses would go and, and tell the people what's going on. Did you come in, Joshua? Nah. I'm staying right here. I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to miss a thing. Why did Joshua not leave the tent? You know, I I don't know about you, but that's an interesting thing. When something in the Bible kind of goes, hmm, that's interesting. Don't leave it. Think about how it connects to the New Testament. God's trying to tell us something here. Moses goes outside the tent. He has this amazing intimate relationship with God. But Joshua never leaves the tent. 
Joshua stayed at the tent because of his love for God's presence. You know, as a leader, I think many of us aspire to leadership, but worship is how we become a leader. Worship is how we become a person of impact. You know, it's great to aspire to leadership, but if we're not worshiping God, why did Joshua get chosen, guys? Because he never left the tent. Because he loved to be with God. He wanted the face-to-face meeting with God. Then I thought, wait a second. What's the Bible say about tents? What does the Bible say about tents? Well, our earthly body is the tent. Think about that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that the earthly tent we live in will be destroyed. We are building from God an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Don't we groan, church? Yeah. Every time I wake up, I groan. Now I play basketball and I groan. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwellings because we are... Uh, because when we are clothed, we are not found, we will not found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. I love how the Bible just tells you straight up. Yeah. You can groan in a burden because we do not wish to be unclothed and to be clothed instead into our heavenly dwellings so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is a deep passage. I don't have time right now to talk all about that one. <laughs> I just want to say that our bodies are the tent. Okay, next passage. Peter said it. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Another word for Joshua in the Greek is Jesus. Jesus never left the tent. He stayed there. He stayed in the tent. You know, when we become disciples, we receive Jesus' Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit that indwells in us and never leaves our tent. So the tent of meeting, where is the tent of meeting, church? Right here. You always have a meeting. And you don't have to wait for the cloud to come. He's right there. Jesus never left the tent. Joshua never left the tent. And then he goes on further and he says something amazing. Verse 18. Then Moses said, now if this is not enough, I don't know about you, face-to-face meeting with God, cloud, the very voice of God, I don't know about you, but, but that would feel pretty awesome. You're certainly special among the community. But what did Moses dare to ask after this? Verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. Is that the most boldest thing in all the Bible you've ever heard. Show me your glory. I don't want to see a cloud. Move the cloud out of the way. I don't want just to hear your voice. I don't want to just have this face-to-face meeting. I want to see your face. I want to see your form. I want to see all of you. I want to see your glory. Verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand. On the... I love how God had like another plan. Well, maybe if we work it this way, you can see my back. There's a place near me where you may stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And cover you with my hand until I pass by. Every time you see rock in the Bible, you definitely need to think about Jesus in the cleft of the rock. Cover my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you'll see my back. But unfortunately, my face, you must not be seen. You know, that's powerful. First of all, God, I don't know what God, what was God thinking when Moses said this? Oh, that's bold. This guy will die if he sees my face. And Moses was like, bring it. Get me out of here, man. We got Joshua. He's ready, man. I mean, he's been sitting at the tent. He's heard it all. He can take over from here. Moses 
wanted to commit spiritual suicide. If that's even a word. I don't mean to say that word lightly. It's a heavy word. But he was willing to kill himself to see the face of God, the glory. Now, this word glory, kavod, is an interesting word. And I'm not a Hebrew expert, but it's a weighty word, literally weighty word. It's Hebrew, it means give full weight. God, Moses wanted to see the fullness of God. He wanted to see all of him, all the terrible, powerful, mysterious, unsearchable God. He wanted it all right now in this moment. He wanted it all. He didn't want just a face-to-face meeting with God. He wanted to know God more than any angel or person ever. The only person that might have known Moses, known God more than Moses, was Jesus. Because he was someone who actually was inside the Father, amen, and came out of him. But Moses was like, I'm going to be the second person to know him. And Moses said, someone like me is going to come. So Moses wanted that intimacy with God so much so. And this is the goal of worship, to know the full weight, the full glory of God, amen? Amen. To know all of him, all of him, not just the parts we like, not just the part that that maybe can be preached in the prosperity gospel, the challenging part, the hard part, the interesting part, the confusing part. I want to know it all. I want it all. I want to know God like that. That That's what Moses wanted. He wanted the brightness of splendor emanating from God, the nature and acts of God in his character, the praise, the descriptions of praise to God. This is a weighty word. Show me your glory. That is the goal of worship. That is our intimate relationship with God. You know, a lot of times, some of us, we have to admit, we've heard the scriptures before, amen? And someone says, well, turn to John 3.16, and we don't turn to John 3.16, because we know the scripture. And amen for memorization. My dream one day is to be able to, like, you know, 10, 15 years before I kick. I better start now because I'll probably lose my memory. <laughs> it's just preach without the Bible. That's right. And just be able to have the Bible in my heart like that. Like they did in the old days. But, alas, that's hard. But the truth is that, you know, this, knowing God like this is a lot more than just knowing the scriptures. It's beyond the scriptures, guys. It's beyond understanding, beyond that. That's, it's, there's, there's a limitation, if we could even say that, to what the scriptures show. Because it doesn't show his face. He doesn't show all the things that he has. It says you'll see his face. But what is he? Who is he? Who is this Yahweh, I am, God? This is what Moses wanted to see. You know, I'll tell you this, church, the only way you can see God's glory is by being patient and putting the time in. You have to sacrifice something. You know, they say nothing in life is free. And the currency for God's glory is your time. You know, I, I know about Moses. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking. Twice to see the glory of God. And we're like, well, would it be awesome to be like Moses? I'm like, would it be awesome to be like Moses? You know, I wonder why Moses lived so long. You ever notice that? It says 120 years he lived, and it looked like he was full of vigor. You know, it's like he was full of vigor. Like, why did that dude keep on ticking? I think he saw God's glory. That back he saw... It says that his face was radiant. He had to put a veil on him. He had supernatural stuff going on in his life, running through his blood veins. And I dare say that those that spend more time with God certainly will live longer in eternity. But there's a health there that who knows what that's about. That's just something I thought about. Next week, we'll talk about the veiling and unveiling of our worship. 
In the sense that, do you want a veiled relationship with God or do you want an unveiled relationship with God? That's an interesting thought. That even God's people were veiled. And, and Christians now, as in the new covenant, can be unveiled. We're meant to be unveiled, amen? amen. Think about this. In his right hand, he had held seven stars coming out of his mouth and a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sh- sun shining in all its brilliance. You ever just try to look at the sun? That's not a good idea. <laughs> Man, just looking at the sun could destroy your eyes. His face is like the brilliance of the sun. Wow. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. Wow. A lot of times think this mighty angel, you know, who is this mighty? This is his angel. Not, not Jesus himself. My goodness. Sir Isaac Newton, as we call him Sir Isaac Newton. I love that. He looked, he had the boldness to look at the sun through a mirror. He had a mirror like this and he was like, I'll look at the sun this way. Maybe that'll work out. <laughs> he was blind for three days and he suffered major issues in his eyes from there on. Just for looking at the sun through a mirror. You know, the face of God. Are you kidding me? What if God said, okay, let's do it. You're all in. (laughs) Let's go. And he showed Moses his glory. Well, then no one could ever say no one's ever seen God anymore because there was one that saw him. You know, the NLT says, Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Moses said in another version, I pray to you, Lord, show me your shining greatness. This is the goal of worship. That's a pretty high goal, isn't it? Hey, I just want to know a little bit about God. You know, when I started studying the Bible, I said, why are you studying the Bible? I just want to learn a little bit about God. I didn't realize that my ultimate goal was to see the face of God. That's our goal. In that, if we don't put the time in now, I guess the question I want to ask you is, What price are you going to pay to worship? What price are you going to pay? Maybe some of us need to get up earlier. Beat the sun. I love when the Bible says, I have awoken the dawn. That's pretty awesome. He's awoken the dawn. Hey, wake up, sun. You know, I'm praying to God. You know, I know we all have busy lives, but it's too busy, isn't it? All the beeping and buttons and swiping. Are you kidding me? We need to spend time with the living God. This is a different type of worship, isn't it? The tent of meeting worship that we're talking about. You know, I just want you to think about, maybe it's giving up your idols. Make sure you remember that idols stand in the way of God. Maybe it's fasting. Maybe it's making a decision to wake up earlier. Maybe you're going to do something that's radical this summer that can help you. But I guarantee you what you're going to get out of that is more than what you're going to pay. You know, the sun's surface is so hot that the only way, we can only approach in like a crazy spaceship with all the gear on, three million miles away is the only the, the, the closest we can be to the sun. Three million miles away. I'm like, what? If you go any farther than that, you're going to be burnt to a crisp. And this is our calculations. We don't really know if we're true about this. We're 93 million miles away on Earth. And if we're just a little bit more closer, we're toast. But God lets us in to the very tent that that crazy power is inside of us that tent of meaning is inside of us and we don't have to be three million miles away amen Amen. we can be right there you know it says that no longer will there be any curse throne of god and lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads I'm going to see his face. 
you're going to see his face. And you're going to be able to get something that Moses wasn't able to have. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty incredible to think about. Why? This is what blows me away. It says, we're, we're children of God, amen? What child doesn't want to see their father? Dear friends, we know we are children of God, and what we will be is not yet known. But what we know, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You and I are going to be like him. You can't, if you're not like the sun, you can't be near the sun. You can't be near God if you're not God-like. And so when we're transformed, we're going to be able to have spiritual eyes that causes us not to die, but to see the living God. You know, there's a voice that's spoken that... That is not said in words. That's throughout the earth. The Bible says in Psalm 19 that his voice goes throughout all the earth. Amen? Through creation. So that no man has excuse. This hit me hard as, as A.W. Tozer, he, he, he defined genius. I don't know about you, but genius is like a cool word, right? Oh, wow, that's genius. Michelangelo was genius. And he says, I'll tell you what genius is. It's my own belief that every good and beautiful thing which man has produced in the world has been a result of his faulty and sin-blocked response to the creative voice sounding over the earth. The moral philosophers who dreamed their high dreams of virtue, the religious thinkers who speculated about God and morality, the poets and artists who created out of common stuff pure and lasting beauty, how can we explain them? It is not enough to simply say it was genius. What then is genius? Could it be that genius is a man haunted by speaking, by the speaking voice of God? Laboring and striving like one possessed to achieve ends, which he only vaguely understands? That the great man may have missed God in his labors. That he may even have spoken or written against God does not destroy the idea that I am advancing. God's redemptive revelation in Holy Scriptures is necessary to saving faith and peace with God. Faith is a risen Savior is necessary if the vague stringings toward immorality are to bring us to the restless and satisfying communion with God. To me, genius is a man haunted by the speaking voice. Wow. Think about that, guys. There's a God that is calling us to something higher. And we can run around and do all these other things and miss what God's calling us to. He's calling you to your tent of meeting this summer and for the rest of your life. He's calling you to the Holy Holies. He's calling to speak to you face to face as a friend does. Let us remember the true goal of worship is the pursuit of God and to see his glory. Amen. Amen.